Welcome to our Blue Margin Expert Insights series. We're glad that you joined us today. This series is for private equity and mid-market executives who want to use data and dashboards as a short path to increasing growth and profitability. I'm Greg Brown, BI consultant at Blue Margin, and today I'm hosting Brian O'Neill, founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, a consultancy that helps data product leaders increase adoption of machine learning, AI, and analytics solutions through human-centered design. Brian has been a product designer and UX consultant for over 25 years, partnering with companies like Dell EMC, TripAdvisor, Fidelity, NetApp, Roche, and AbbVie. Brian has spoken internationally at multiple O'Reilly conferences, the International Institute for Analytics Symposium, Predictive Analytics World, and Boston College. Brian also hosts the very popular five-star podcast, Experiencing Data, where he speaks with leaders at the intersection of design, machine learning, and AI, analytics, and data product management. Be sure to check that out, and of course, we'll link Brian's podcast in our show notes. Brian, I'm excited to have you here today to discuss how your world of designing for analytics intersects with real business results, and hopefully to pick your brain a bit about the role of strong data product design for mid-market companies. Welcome to the show. Hi. It's great to be here. Yeah, awesome. And Brian, just to start us off, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your value proposition, and who you typically partner with. Sure, sure. Um, well, it's great to be here. Thanks again for for inviting me on. Um, my formal background is actually in music. We don't have to go into all that, but I do have another career as a professional percussionist and drummer. So I, I tour and, and perform with orchestras and all that kind of stuff. Um, but along the way in college, when I was uh, focusing on my music studies, I was learning about the web. <laughs> and so there was actually a bassoon major living next door to me in my in my dorm. And he was always tinkering around with with Telnet and browsers were just coming out and, and that whole era. And long story short, he kind of got me interested in that. And, and by the time I graduated with my music degree, I'd been doing uh, working as a web designer, mostly doing you know marketing websites for northern Arizona tourism uh, industry there and had really cut my teeth as uh, as a designer and, and sort of developer back then. You kind of did everything. So. Fast forward, you know, moved to Boston later on and, and went more into the world of startups and, and software and, and, uh, over time really ended up focusing on B2B and enterprise. And then even more specifically down into the, the, the analytics and data world, uh, largely through work, uh, with, um, on IT software. So software to manage data centers. Uh, that's kind of where that and financial services. So, you know, my time at Fidelity and JP Morgan and E-Trade, a lot of trading systems, things like this. So that's all data, quant, that kind of stuff, data visualization. That's really where I kind of cut my teeth with this. And, and then when I went kind of full time with my consulting work, um, and got out of the W2 employment world, I decided to kind of focus in this area because I was seeing where there was an opportunity for human centered design and, and product management principles to be applied to this world of data science and analytics, particularly in the non-tech company, the non, the non-software industry area. I wasn't even aware how much analytics was, a, uh, was an internal practice at organizations and building machine learning and analytics solutions and dashboards for internal use, not to sell as a, as a product necessarily. So my two audiences are still both the, the commercial software uh, industry, uh, mostly in the B2B data product space. But also in this, uh, and it's usually more training in terms of the work that I do now with clients. Uh, when I work with like an internal BI team or a data science organization, their challenges are usually in the low adoption issue, right? Like we have the technical capability. We know what we're doing there. We give people, we give our stakeholders what they ask for and then they still don't use it. Like they don't trust it or they don't want it or they say it's wrong or we find out what the requirements are after we give them what they asked for. 
And it's this kind of data tennis game, which is like, well, whose job is it to define what the problem is and what the need is? And, and then you have like the, the data scientists are complaining about like, you know, well, what's your business problem that you need help with? And the stakeholders saying, well, we want to use machine learning. So what's possible? What, what could we do with AI? Cause that's what everyone else is doing. And then they're like, well, what are you trying to solve? Well, what's possible? And I call this like the data tennis game and this function of human centered design and product management, which, which is really about falling in love with the problem space. This is missing. And, and, and most of the time, needs are not um, presenting problems are what teams are working on. Uh, this is not my I forget who came up with this term. I, I love it. But this is the idea that like, you know, I've got a rash on my arm, so I need some skin cream doctor. And it's like, well, maybe maybe you need to change your diet. So if you're just in the business of applying skin cream every time someone says they have a rash because that's what they asked for. This is where problems can set in because that's a presenting problem. There may be an unarticulated problem that's under the surface that we need to get to. And, and, and most of the time that's true. And, and this is where I think things tend to fall apart is we haven't actually defined what the real need and the problems are. We're just taking the surface request and we're, we're addressing that through a JIRA ticket or whatever. And we're assuming that the, the person with the need knows how to specifically specify what it is that they need. And that's actually a team effort and a, and a whole skill set that I think a lot of data product and data science leaders struggle with is how do I get those unarticulated needs out? How do I and, 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 you know, design is the process of doing that design and product give us tools for doing that. But that's the start of where things start to go to go wrong with a lot of these teams when they're struggling, in my opinion. So that's kind of the the monster that I'm trying to attack with all of my work and help companies with is this low adoption that. You know, as I always, you know, tell my audience, low use is bad for you, the maker. It's bad for the recipient. It's just bad for everybody because someone just spent money. They didn't get what they wanted. Your tech didn't get used. So if you're a data scientist, you spend all this time building a model that's going to go on a shelf. Maybe you can write a paper about it, but you didn't get any usage out of it. Over time, that's just bad for everybody. So using these different tools, is actually something that's good for everybody. You're, you're, you're becoming focused on outcomes instead of outputs, which is about, you know, when someone asks for a dashboard, right? They're not actually, they don't really want a dashboard. And my LinkedIn says like, nobody wants your machine learning and analytics. They don't, they, they want something that's downstream from that. And, and we need to focus on what the downstream thing is that people want. And that's a collection of both, you know, there could be financial and quantitative metrics that go with like defining the value of the solution, the, the data product you're building. But there's also what we call user experience outcomes. This is where user experience design comes in to actually be thinking about workflows or sometimes you hear jobs to be done or tasks. These are all the ways that designers tend to look at things differently than I think like a BI developer does who's really focused on just the dashboard. I'm always trying to tell, teach my audience, you need to think in terms of workflows. Workflows happen over time. They may touch multiple different tool sets. And we need to be thinking about end-to-end -end workflows and designing around that. And the only way you can do that is to know what it's like to be the person using it, which requires you to spend time not building and coding stuff, not working with data sets, but actually going and observing and, and mostly listening and observing to the people who are going to use it. And we need to work backwards from their objectives into something that's useful, usable, valuable, trustworthy. That that's that's the human aspect here, right? The non-data first way. That's the human first way. Is we work backwards from the need 
And then we assemble technology that goes with the need. We don't start with a data set and then kind of putz around with it and hope that we build something right. And then we accumulate technical debt and then we have sunk cost bias and then no one wants to throw away this thing they've spent a million dollars on. And I'm sure you got, you know, that whole, that whole thing. <laughs> so anyhow, Absolutely. that was a long winded approach. I kind of went into a bunch of things there, but. No, absolutely. I love the analogy. I mean, a lot stuck out to me in that response, but I love the analogy of the sort of data game of tennis, so to speak, where you're taking a limited input, you're yeah. volleying something back over the net instead yeah. of walking over to that side of the court, really understanding the problem, unpacking it instead of just volleying back little solutions or responses based on limited input without digging a little bit deeper and really asking the questions that you need to. The other thing that stuck out to me is, and this is a common analogy in, in I think different realms, but the idea of patients diagnosing themselves, you know, we wouldn't walk into a doctor's office and have the doctor right. accept our diagnosis of the problem and then say, okay, right. well, based on what you told me, here's what I prescribed to you. They may accept some of our inputs and say, well, that gives me a starting point, but the doctor is always going to say, let me go through my process and ask my questions and really get a conversation going about what this issue is before I actually make a judgment and a prescription to you. Um, and I think that's important too, to understand that you don't want to accept users or a business team self-diagnosing and, and only accept that. You can use it as a starting point, but you have to dig a little bit deeper and really understand the need and what they're looking for. Um, yeah. So no, that was great. A lot of stuff stuck out into me there. I could respond to almost every part of it, but those are the yeah, two that yeah. really stuck out to me the most. Have mm -hmm. you ever seen the team shift their focus? I mean, maybe they were initially very founded on the outcome and really using that to kind of gear and, and, and focus their design. But then as people start using it, they, they start to shift more towards the output and they're focusing on the wrong things. They're not continuing to keep the business outcome as the guiding principle as they evolve the product. Have you ever seen that sort of drift happen with data products? Oh, I, I think it's supernatural, right? To like, like, Eventually, it's like, okay, we know what the need is, and now it's execution mode, right? Now it's the 90% of the project, which is building the stuff, right? And again, I, I think when there's no sense of how would we know if we did a good job and being able to test that, and this is, again, something you do not want to wait until the end of whether you're a consultant doing an engagement or you're an internal data science leader, you don't want to find out how the game, how does one keep score in this game we are playing you don't want to find that at the end of the game. It's much more fun to find it at the beginning of the game. And here's the thing. The stakeholders, the CIOs, the, the, the business stakeholders, the private equity people, they may not know what all the rules of the game are yet. They haven't thought about it that way before. So this requires people to work together about what it is. Like you want to, you want to reduce attrition. Okay. What's a customer? Well, what do you mean? What's a customer? Well, we actually have 15 different statuses for customers. We have people that left and came back. We have current ones. We have people that paused their accounts, but they haven't left. We have people on $5 a month plans like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, great. So let's come up with a definition of what a customer is. You know all this stuff, right? But the point is the, 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 the parameters for the success of the project need to be defined up front and, and, and clear ways and clear language that everyone can understand. And they usually don't include words like machine learning, or we used Bayesian, whatever, or we used this method <laughs> or Azure, or those words generally do not belong in those things. If you're there, then you're probably back to talking about technical outputs again. So the drift is normal. But I think if you're having regular check-ins and you're, you, you know how you're going to measure along the way, so you don't go way off into left field, spend all this time and money and find out just how far off things are. 
I, there's a modern product has a has a propensity for wanting to ship faster and getting feedback as opposed to doing like spending a ton of time building a giant thing and hoping that it's right and then shipping it and then finding out we want to increase those those learning loops right getting those learning feedback cycles so oh that's not what you meant you meant this um, but that's different than kind of the iterative approach which is like well right now we have this metric so we put that one out and next month we'll have the pipeline for this and then we'll add that. That's more incremental development. That's not iteration. That's that's incre incrementing, right? We're just adding more to the pile all the time. This is different than when we might have heard of agile software development, which is really about like, is the design right? And yes, there there may be features or, 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 or data points that that will take more time to be added. But if you're just constantly adding and you're, you're not actually iterating over what's there and you're not willing to spend the time to say this first pass was wrong, we're not going to continue building on top of that because it's conceptually wrong and, and accepting that we can't predict what the perfect version is going to be. You can't pre-plan all that stuff all the time. This is something that teams have to swallow, right? And, and also the business needs to swallow this too, but shortening the cycles helps us not spend a lot of money and time working on wrong stuff. We shorten those cycles, you know, but again, how will we measure that we did a good job? This is frequently something that teams that I work with and my clients usually can't answer. And we need to do, we end up doing some kind of diagnostic. If I, you know, if I'm in my consulting world, there's usually some kind of diagnostic there, which is to go figure out how would we know if this product works? Like, what will we measure? What will we? And some of those may be qualitative and mushy. And just to continue the thread a little bit on UX, can you tell us why it's so critical to think about that? You touched on it in some of your previous answers, but why it's so critical to think about the user experience when you're designing a data product? We see it as if you have good design, it can lead to a good user experience that increases adoption, and then it leads to some tangible end results for the business um, that really impact the top or bottom line. Is that kind of the right sequence and what we're looking for when you start with, let me make sure we get the user experience piece right, because then it can lead to all those benefits down the line? Sure. I, it's funny. Uh, yes, I believe that. I generally don't talk about it that way because most of my audience thinks that user experience sounds like we're going to make it look nice. We're going to make it fun. We're going to, it's this extra thing you do to take it from good to great, right? It, instead of like the user experience has been designed in such a way that it absolutely minimizes the amount of time you need to be in there. Effectively, the tool tries to be completely invisible as much as possible. It'll send alerts out. It, the, the goal is you never log into the dashboard. The goal is that there's a, a listener that's listening for abnormal deviations in the data and it's sending you something in email that actually in the email itself has everything you need to know in it such that you don't have to log in. That is also an experience, right? And even knowing that like, oh, people don't really want to use this. It's like, well, why don't you want to use it? Like, what's, is it, there's something about like, I, I don't, I don't like having to talk about the numbers because, you know, I don't know, I, my bonus is wrapped up in this or whatever versus the old tools sucked and it took my life from me. Like, I can't stand it. What's behind the, I don't want to use it stuff. Is it the a perceived labor? Is it the domain information? Is it personal risk like these are all things that designers would be looking for and then incorporating into the solution where possible so good good data product design and i would argue good even for enterprise most of the time is about getting out of the way but designers are like how can i get rid of stuff here right so 
I, yes, I, I can relate to a lot of what you're, <laughs> you're asking about here. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I've seen that happen myself where the, the iteration, the, exp- the improvement to user experience, quote unquote, is, well, we're adding things. We're, we're going to add this. We're going to add right. that. It'll be richer. There'll be more visualizations without realizing that that just hurts the experience. That makes it all right. much harder to take in and to actually use the tool or it just, just serves to distract people or, 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 or draw their attention to more things than they really need right. to be focused on. I know that's one thing that we really focus on in design is making sure before you add something, does it absolutely have to be there? And what are users going to be doing with it? Yeah. Um, otherwise, it is just clutter it, that that interferes with the user experience, really, and, and, and with someone yeah. enjoying the user experience, I would say, so that they right. come back and continue to, to use the product. So yeah. it makes perfect sense. You can't get to business value if you don't first go through user adoption. The business value will probably follow if you build something that people want to or are willing to use or they find indispensable, then the business value will follow. But if you don't design for the human adoption piece, you definitely don't get the business value. All you've done is spend money. Well, and I think it's very important for for folks to understand that the gateway to creating business value is user adoption. It, it, you, right. you cannot circumvent that or shortcut exactly. that and achieve some magical, mythical business value or create value right. with data unless you have that user adoption piece. That that is the yeah. only way that you're going to get there. Um, and, ju- and just to shift gears a little bit too, Brian, for some of the smaller middle market companies that we partner with. They aren't always able to approach designing a comprehensive data product internally. They are interested in providing some value to the business, and they're sometimes fighting some skepticism from other stakeholders. It's a kind of a big question, but where do these smaller data teams start to deliver value and create buy-in for data strategy, especially if they face some skepticism because the company or the firm has never used data in an in innovative way before? So, I mean... Obviously, you need good leadership here to, to connect what's what data we have, what's technically possible, what the business is trying to achieve. Right. And so even if you haven't done things the data way or whatever, my thing is, I, I think and this is this is really important at leadership levels is that the person in charge of the, of the team, the maker, I'm going to just call them the makers, whatever kind of data science or be whatever the heck it is. Right. They need to be able to really speak the language of the business. This is what the business wants, right? The business doesn't want to go learn about data science and modeling and all this kind of stuff. They don't want to know that. What most of them want is they want a team that can relate to what their needs are. And so this is a skill that I think a lot of data teams do not have, which is that this consultative and, and research-oriented uh, skill set to go and translate what the business is trying to do back into data product work. That this is a this is really important. So we, so there are ways to get better at this. Um, I, I kind of have this theory that I think a lot of the particularly in the data science side that this community tends to be somewhat introverted. And one of the things I teach when we when I teach uh, doing qualitative research or one on one listening sessions and, and qualitative interviews is that the good thing here is it's mostly about listening. It's not about talking. It's just <laughs> listening. And so if you can ask good questions here and look at the questioning of the person, not as challenging this leader, but you're actually helping them get to what they actually need. It's a process of peeling the onion back together by just asking guided questions to get to the unarticulated needs. We, we, we need to do this kind of work in order to, to design good stuff. And you don't have to talk a lot. It's mostly about listening. 
you know? No, that's great to highlight, Brian. And, and, and I love that. You have to use that as your guiding principle and your starting point is what's keeping you up at night? What is the pain? What are we solving for? And I think that's the yeah. first step in terms of the business team saying, well, this might be something that I actually adopt. We might be on the yeah. right track here. So I'm going to see what we yeah. produce, what, what comes from this. But yeah. I feel like we're, we're approaching this the right way. I think that's the, the most important way to, to start creating some buying at the outset of it and to yeah. make sure that you understand what you're solving for, of course, too. So, Brian, what, what's next for you? What's on the horizon for you in 2023? And, and for those that are looking to connect with you further, what's the best avenue? Yeah, so I have the podcast. It's called Experiencing Data. Um, and I've got a mailing list I, I write over at designingforanalytics.com. Um, twice a year, I run a public seminar called Designing Human-Centered Data Products. This is for uh, data science leaders, data product leaders, BI leaders. It's basically like, how do I go do all this stuff and make it immediately applicable? So that runs in uh, February and September. Um, I'm actually launching a community this year called the Data Product Leadership Community. For now, the DPLC, it's probably going to change names, uh, but I'm actually trying to to create a place here where there's going to be uh, different perspectives here from the user experience design world, the product management world, the data science community, and some probably some engineers in there. But it's people that are trying to use this product orientation in their work um, to, to, to actually make sure that all this stuff we can do that we can do with machine learning and analytics actually gets used and creates some value here. So those are some things I've got uh, on my horizon. That's awesome. Looking forward to hearing updates on all of that, Brian. Sure. And want to thank you again for joining us here on the show. We enjoyed yeah, getting a chance to host you today. And again, would encourage everyone to check out Brian's podcast, Experiencing Data, which we have linked in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.